Welcome to the world of Aeora, a news and lore podcast about the Pillars of Eternity games, as well as Obsidian Entertainment's upcoming release, Avowed. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the World of Aora. I'm your host Eric aka Gingerino. Thank you so much for joining me on another episode as we dive into the history, game, mechanics, and lore for Pillars of Eternity as we gear up for the release of Avowed. For those of you wondering why we pair Avowed and Pillars of Eternity together, it's because they share the same fantasy setting known as probably guessed it the world of aora and so we're going to be diving into the pillars games uh, in the as we gear up for the release of avowed which eh, who knows that might be years from now so if you're listening to this it probably means that i'm away from home or i'm busy or i'm on vacation or something because this is a bonus recording i made after recording another episode and it's essentially just an episode where i, I dive into some random lore um because it's something i didn't need to prepare for uh but we'll see how this goes it's a little experiment i'm gonna do sometimes i do this for fun because you know i do a world of era podcast uh sometimes when i'm on the pillars of eternity fandom wikipedia website i just click on random page and see if it takes me anywhere interesting and there's been a couple times where it's led to doing a full-fledged episode because i'm like oh that is something i'd like to touch on but today it's just going to be me hitting the random page, and if there's anything lore-worthy in the page, I'm just going to read it out here for you guys, and we're going to talk about some random pieces of lore until I hit about 20 minutes. So hopefully this is something you enjoy. Uh, I know I've done this a few times just myself, and it's led to some interesting uh, thoughts and um, articles that kind of mix together really well. So yeah, we're going to do that. Um, no news to go over at this point in time, but of course this is a filler episode, so maybe there has been by the time you hear this, and I can't report on it, because I can't see the future. With that all said, let's dive into today's random lore. I'm curious, what exactly did you find there? I feel like the transition is a little more appropriate for an episode like this, where it's like, I'm curious, what did you find there? And I'm, I'm also curious. So, just to reiterate what I'm doing today, I'm going on to the pillarsofeternity.fandom.com, I think is how it goes, and... I'm just going through the Wikipedia there, and I'm going to hit the random button to see what page it brings me to, and I'm going to go through the lore of whatever pages we find. So let's get started, shall we? First thing I got is something called Penetrating Strike, which is an ability that you get from Pillars of Eternity 2, Deadfire. Description of this is the fighter strikes their target with devastating force, gaining significant additional penetration during the attack. A bunch of that has a bunch of gamey things in there. The thing that you need to know about this is that it is a fighter ability. Fighter is one of the classes in the world of Eora that you can have in the Pillars of Eternity game. You know, any fantasy game you play where you can have wizards and clerics and you can have bards and yonder, blah, blah, blah. Um, fighter is one of the classes that you can have. It's a pretty typical class that you can have. People have been seeing it for decades with tabletop role-playing games, and we have them here in Eora as well. Now, I'm not going to go fully into what a fighter is because they are worthy of their own episode, of course, but I will give an overview description of what it is and kind of how fighters work. And we're going to tie it back to that pen penetrating strike that we were talking about. So fighters, this is just a short description. If you're playing the game, this is the first thing that Obsidian will tell you. Like, this is my first fantasy game ever. I've chosen Pillars of Eternity 2, Deadfire. I might be interested in a fighter. What are they? This is how Obsidian introduces a fighter to you. Fighters form the front line of disciplined armies across the Eastern Reach. Eastern Reach is a location found within the world of Aeora. They are the most commonly found in cultures with an organized martial structure. 
Fighters can also be encountered as wandering mercenaries, bodyguards, and other types of sellswords. The common element that unifies fighters is their heavy focus on endurance and melee defense. So there's some gamey stuff for you and kind of a background of like what a fighter is. If you know anything about the backgrounds and cultures of the world of Aeora, I could very easily see there being a lot of fires in Rawatai, even though this specifically mentions the Eastern Reach, because Rawatai has a very strong military, if I remember correctly. So I've talked in previous episodes about episodes. We talked about um, how it is that classes gain their power. So for the Cypher episode that I've done in the past, there was this thing called the Soul Whip, which developed Focus. Focus was the power pool that Cyphers used to spend to do their abilities. So if you wanted to use a special Cypher ability, you needed to have enough Focus to do so. I did an episode recently on Monks, and theirs were called Wounds, capital W, Wounds. So as a Monk takes damage, they increase their Wound uh, pool, I guess if you will. And then to do a special Monk ability that only Monks can do, they expend wounds so that's kind of the gamey aspect to it but it's also kind of the lore aspect because with ciphers it has to do with a little bit of kind of psychic energy that you get back from damage you dole out and with monks it's a little bit of damage that you take gets put into your soul and it strengthens you but what about for a fighter well i'm not going to go into it in depth because again it's their own episode but the fighter has is something called discipline Discipline is described, in short, as fighters' abilities require and consume discipline on use. Outside of combat, a fighter's discipline is restored and ready to be used in the next encounter. Without getting too much into it, there's not really, there's not like a super crazy soul mechanic meta-narrative thing going on with discipline. Fighters are good at what fighters do because they have the discipline to do it. And so really, it's through a lot of training really the discipline of training that fighters do this. So you start an encounter with a higher, a high discipline. Your discipline meter is filled to the top, and then you expend the discipline as you're going through the fight. And eventually, as you exhaust yourself and wear yourself out, you kind of have less discipline, so you can't do as many crazy cool fighter moves. You know, you're just doing the basics. I think that's kind of how they're going for it. We can find out as we go and do a, uh, a regular episode on fighters. Then bring it back to the Penetrating Strike, the third level ability for a fighter. They would expend some of that discipline for that. So that's kind of how things work in Pillars of Eternity. I expect it might work that way in Avowed, but uh, who knows? I don't know if we'll have power pools or if we have the number of spells that you can use or how it's going to work, but we're going to find out. Next page. Okay, so this time I got a page for something called Silver Key. It's a quest item used in a quest for... Something to do with Noonfrost. So this is going to be in the first Pillars of Eternity game. This description says this ornate key is covered in a thin layer of silver. So it's just a basic silver key. Um, you acquire it in Noonfrost, actually, and it opens Alwa's cell within that area. So let's dive into what a couple of these things are. So Noonfrost is a temple dedicated to the god Remergond, who is the god of entropy and cold and winter and the inevitable unraveling of all things, bad luck, things like that. Um, he's, a, he's a very interesting god, actually, very tied towards the very the background, soul mechanics of the lore. I really am interested in learning more and more about Remergon. I hope we see him in Avowed, or learn something about him in Avowed. He's supposed to be the oldest of the gods, or at the very least, he has iconography in the history of this world that's older than other iconography, which could indicate some interesting things, or it might just be that it was some old deific 
symbolism that people used in the history, and it just happened to be the oldest we found. Who knows? Um, but yeah, it's a temple located in the old song district of Tim Twin Elms. Twin Elms is one of the major cities in the first Pillars of Eternity game. Old Song is one of the sections in that city, and it's where a lot of the temples and religious sections are. You have to go through it before you can get to the end of the game. The temple itself, Noonfrost, um, is the location of one of the quests that you can do before reaching the end of the game. Before you reach the end of Pillars of Eternity 1, you have to essentially gain a boon from one of the deities, and you do that by completing one of the quests they gave you. And going to Noonfrost and completing Remergon's side quest is one of the potential quests you can do. I usually opt for Hylia because I played the good guy, but I have done this quest as well because it's fun. Um, this is one of the oldest temples to Remergon. Noonfrost laid abandoned for years until a group of Glomfelin, which are pale elves from the White That Wends, entered it around 2823 AI. They made the pilgrimage from the White That Wends, which is essentially the Antarctica of this world, to ostensibly take care of it, but their real goal lay in the frost-hewn breach deep within. And that's the really interesting thing about the Noonfrost Temple, is that it has a breach to Remergon's realm, the White Void, within it. Um, and there's a, a bit of... I'm not going to spoil the side quest for you, but there's a reason that they are there um, working with the Frost-Hewn Breach. And so it's a, it's a very interesting place to be, especially since there is like an entire portal in there, you know? So the person in question that has to do with the Silver Key that is being imprisoned is Alwa, uh, captive Orlin in this temple. Uh, she's one of those people where she's kind of the person that you're there to kind of release in a sense. There is a quest that you are trying to go to find this person and release them from their captivity. And this is the, this is the target of that quest. Um, so that's who Alwa is. All right, next page, we have a wearable ring called Drunkard's Regret. So in Pillars of Eternity, if you haven't played it, you can wear all sorts of clothing, armor, and accessories, rings being one of them. And a lot of the time, the rings will be enchanted so that it has some sort of power or benefit to you. Um, and there are unique rings that exist within the world, which are as they sound. They're unique. They're not just a, they're not just like a basic ring of healing plus one. You know, it's got some unique name. It's got some unique lore and history to it, and it does something unique to your character. This one is from Pillars of Eternity 2 Deadfire, Drunkard's Regret. The description reads as follows. A plain length of string twisted into a makeshift ring. It smells faintly of beer, liquor, and sweat. Such a ring can represent many things, but usually serves as a reminder of promises made. This one may have signified a promise to give up drinking. The simple knot, which much like a commitment, is easily undone. It is frayed from being constantly removed and retied. <laughs> so there you have the unique ring, Drunkard's Regret. Essentially, a promise ring to oneself, but it's... I'm looking at the picture of it here that Obsidian made for it. It's easily untieable. Uh, I've had to do some... I don't want to call it knot training, but I've done outdoor survival leadership training, and I'm looking at the knot for this thing. It's like you could just pull on one side, and it just comes apart super easy. So not a very committed uh, promise ring. I'll give it that. The bonus that it gives to you is something called Lush, which makes you immune to hangovers from alcohol if worn while drinking. Um, so I'd be interested to know how it is that this ring actually managed to be imbued with that ability. Because within the world of Aora, the soul mechanics that exist for this world allow items themselves to be imbued with the energy from souls. And so it's completely logical that a ring like this could be imbued with some sort of soul energy that makes it so that you are immune to hangovers. So 
Interesting, because that if this ring was a promise ring to not drink, this ring actually would make you be able to drink more and not have to have the negative sides of it. Well, at least the after effects negative sides of it. The, dur the during part, you would still probably be drunk. You get this for saving Oswald during a quest called Lost Dues in Good Faith. Next page we have is something called Masuk Arrows. Now... Uh, I did have a page before this one for Zarups, but I've already done an episode on Zarups, so I'm not going to repeat uh, the things here. Uh, I, I'm also trying to keep in mind that if I do future episodes on any of these things, I don't want to do all of the lore for it right here and now, so I'm trying to... I'll skip any of those random pages I get as well. But I don't think I'm going to do an episode on the unique enchantment for Masuk Arrows. This is a unique enchantment that you find in Pillars of Eternity 2 Deadfire called Masuk Arrows. It essentially adds 15 crush damage, 15% sorry, crush damage to your arrow attacks. Uh, there is a unique hunting bow that is connected to this unique enchantment called Amina's Legacy, and it comes with this Masuk Arrows thing. So like unique weapons in this world, just like many games, come with unique traits. That's what make that's kind of what gives it its unique property rather than it just being a, a hunting bow of plus five. I know that Aora doesn't do it like that. Pills of Eternity doesn't do it like that. That's just how I'm doing it, because it's gamey. But so Ami, Amina's legacy has a few unique traits, and Masuk Arrows being one of them. Now, Amina's legacy being a unique bow also has lore tied to it. So we're going to read the description for Amina's legacy and see what we get out of it. So Amina's legacy, hunting bow from Pillars of Eternity 2, Deadfire. Amina of the Blue Water Tribe, daughter of the revered Ajamut, carried her on her mother's duties after the death of the matron Huntress. This is sounding like it has something to do with the Huana tribes from Pillars of Eternity 2 Deadfire. If you play the second Pillars of Eternity game, the Huana tribes are one of the main factions that you uh, have in the game, and they are kind of the, the uh, native peoples of that region, this archipelago uh, these archipelago of islands known as the Deadfire, this tropical area. Uh, so Amina of the Blue Water Tribe is very likely part of one of the Huana tribes. To secure her status as a successor for her foremother, Amina enrolled in the challenge of Ungtok Angunasak, which I don't know what that is. Hopefully we find out here. Far from a game, this trial pitted the young dwarf against all the dangers of Nasitak. Okay, so she's actually from Nasitak, which is a dwarven society which is i think part of the dead fire archipelago or just south of it uh so there we go not part of the huana culture like i thought originally actually part of the nasitok tribes she spent three weeks in the wild battling endless blizzards and voracious beasts her bow was her only means of defense and subsistence that would be this amina's legacy her trial complete amina was trekking for home when she happened across a hungry frost drake which is like a young frost dragon stalking towards Blue Water Village, which is her home. She used the storm to hide its approach, with no consideration for her own safety. Amina raised her horn and trumpeted a warning to the Blue Water Warriors, who mobilized in time to fend off the beast. Denied its prize, the fearsome drake turned on Amina. The young huntress knocked and loosed, slaying the dragon with a single arrow to the heart. Her bold actions secured her place among the matron huntresses that came before her. So there you go. That's um, Amina's Legacy, a unique hunting bow found in Pillars of Eternity 2 Deadfire. I, I love how when game developers, especially Obsidian, they're great at this, they take unique weapons that exist within the game and they just put a story 
about the world's background in there. There's no, there's nothing in here about the metaphysics of the world or some ancient secrets that you get or something. It's just a story of whose weapon this was and what they did in the world. And it gives you that lived in feeling, at least in my opinion, of what the world is like, that there's this blue water tribe that exists somewhere out in Nasitak, uh, full of boreal dwarves. And this is a story of one of their heroes. I love that kind of thing. I think it's also good inspiration for someone like me who wants to get into uh, game mastering, epic fantasy games like in Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder. This kind of stuff is great inspiration for it. You can get a number of mods in the game when you upgrade this weapon, uh, and some of the mods includes like Drake's Legacy, Slayer of Beasts, Ongitok, and Gunasag, which all of these things you wouldn't understand if you didn't read the description, right? So if you upgraded this weapon with the upgrade mod Warning of Blue Water, you might be like, oh, that's interesting what that's about. If you read the description, you understand it's that her warning her village, the Blue Water Village. Um, and what that does is it gives you different abilities with the weapon. You acquire this bow, interestingly enough, it's looted during a bounty quest, which is kind of like, you know, you go to a, a person who sells bounties or gives you bounties that you got to go do, go cut the head off of someone, and we'll pay you for it. You know, basic level quests, if you're just into doing combat or just grinding for some XP or just wanting to see more of the world, you get this on the bounty for Uamaru the Pretender. Uamaro the Pretender is a nature godlike and a pretender to the Kahanga throne. The Kahanga throne is something to do with the Huana peoples that I was talking about earlier. Uh, Kahanga is kind of like the it's it's the, the Kahanga Palace is in the capital city of the Deadfire basically, and so you you get kind of an idea of what that is there. I'm not going to get into the entire Huana culture and leadership and structure and all that. I could probably do several episodes on it. So this is a person who's a pretender to that throne, so they probably think that they deserve it, or they are claiming that they are in the line, the lineage for the throne. Um, they're attempting to foster rebellion against the leadership of Nekataka, which is, like I said, capital city, sort of, of the Deadfire Archipelago, and there's been a generous bounty placed on Uamaru's head, which is why you're going out to get them. I'm interested to think about how did Uamaru get this bow because this was draw this was made the by amina or at least it's her bow in nasitak which is far away from where you hunt down uamaru the pretender what did this person do to get that bow did they raid the village did they steal it from them um, was it gifted by amina or one of amina's descendants like how did this happen i'm always interested to see how these people came about getting these items Next page is something uh, called an unjuent. I'm not sure what that is. It's a, a consumable item. It's just a regular quick item you can get. It's called Thief's Putty. Uh, I don't know what an unjuent is. I should probably look it up, or you can tell me what it is. That's all right. I'll look it up. Um, this clay-like unjuent smells of lilac and chalk. When applied to the wrist and hands, it both steadies and quickens the body and the mind, making subtle or delicate tasks simpler. Though there exist myriad legitimate uses for this concoction, its association with the criminal element tarnishes its reputation across Aeora. And you can acquire it from a variety of merchants within the game. Um, so, yeah, it appears to be this sort of like putty that you can put on your wrists and hands, and it makes you do things better with your wrists and hands. It makes you faster at stuff. And you can be used for a variety of things, as it says, but it's called Thief's Putty uh, because of its reputation for being used for criminal reasons. I'm essentially picking locks or pickpocketing, things like that. Um, it seems to be sold by a lot of people. 
Um, it's got a decent value to it, so I imagine it's not the easiest to make, but it, it increases your mechanics, sleight of hand, and stealth checks when you're in the game. So and you have Thief's Putty. I love looking at the lore for things like this because it shows the like the minute details that Obsidian goes through. They could have just said Thief's Putty. It's an ungent that makes you better at this thing, but they include things like smells of lilac and chalk, and you apply it specifically to the wrist and hands. Um, and these are the specific effects, quickening the mind and the body, uh, and steadies you, et cetera, et cetera. And also the criminal element, the reputation that it has, like, these are all little details. Like, you could have just said Thief's Putty, plus two to these things, and leave it at that. But that's, that's one thing I love about Obsidian. They put these details in, and I think that's just something that they do, basically. It's just like a, an automatic thing that, that they do over there, and I like that kind of thing. This is great for people who are also looking to like fill their own fantasy worlds for games with things like this all right let's see what the next page i can have is um oh this is interesting random loot tables slash weapons slash ranged weapons hyphen magical implements this page is a complete list of containers in pillars of eternity the first game whose random loot contain magical implements if an item is not listed here it does not spawn randomly oh this is interesting actually oh i have played around with um, things like this. Okay, so this is actually, this is actually good, and I've been recording for a while, so I might end it on here. This, these kind of pages are really useful for those out there who will want to get into tabletop role-playing games like Dungeons and Dragons. Um, there are actually a lot of pages like this on the Pills of Eternity Wikipedia page, where you can, you can have maps of areas, like, not just, like, pictures of, of areas in the game, but, like, maps, as in, like, items are marked where they are, in the different areas that you're exploring in with your character. You can have pages that tell you what sort of loot and um, things that you can get in different levels of the game, in different regions of the game. It's actually, there's a lot of pages like this that have given you the raw data of like what's in the game, what's in the story. And so if you're ever wanting to run a Pillars of Eternity game for your friends who aren't into the game themselves, but you wanna run the story for Pillars of Eternity as a D&D game, Things like this are really useful because it tells you these are the these are where you can find random loots, or it says these are where the fixed locations are for certain types of loot. So, like for example, in Pillars of Eternity One, the very opening scene, which is the encampment that you're at, where you're getting introduced to literally all the mechanics of the game. If you are on this website, Pillars of Eternity Wiki, you can get a interactable map that tells you where some of the unique items are, where some of the mundane you know, ingredients for consumables are, where all the people are. It's actually really useful if you're wanting to run through a game like that. So anyone who's looking for resources to do uh, Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder or even the alpha version of the Pills of Eternity tabletop role-playing game, which you can find on Obsidian's website, by the way, for free, um, you can run through the story of the Pillars of Eternity game with these resources at hand. Obviously, you have to do a little bit of the legwork to kind of translate it to whatever system you're using, but a lot of this work is done for you, which I find super helpful. So, um, yeah, go through Pillars of Eternity Wikipedia site for any of that kind of stuff. It's very helpful. I'm going to end it there because I've been recording for nearly half an hour at this point, and this is just supposed to be a bonus episode for when I'm out of town or something like that. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. I know this was not my normal type of thing, uh, I'm, but I am very interested to hear your responses. So yeah, if you'd like to get a hold of me and give me your feedback on how an episode like this was for you to listen to, then you can reach me through email, worldofaora at gmail.com or via Twitter, at worldofaora. 
this is something I just want to include you guys in because like sometimes this is what I do. I just wake up early. I get my coffee. I sit down. I hit random page until I hit a topic. Then I'm like, that sounds interesting. Let's go with that. Quite often, I look up what I want to do. Like I plan a week in advance what it is I want to talk about. I do some research. But sometimes I have days like this where I'm like, okay, this sounds fun. And I do my research here and then I present it to you guys. But I just wanted to invite you into my creative process a little bit. It was actually interesting. Some of the things we touched on, like the unique weapons and some of the unique stories that we have, these are the kind of things that you can get when you pay attention to this game. Uh, and I'm hoping the same with Avowed when it releases. I'm hoping that we can get unique weapons and armor, look at the descriptions, and get these like personal stories of characters that you never actually interact with and ask questions about how did these things get here and what impact does this have on the world around me and things like that. Um, so, yeah. There's that. Uh, as well, some inspiration and tools for those of you out there who are on tabletop role-playing games. I'm getting more and more into that since my wrists are hurting. I can't play video games as much, so I've been getting into tabletop. And I'm actually looking to do an Aora-based kind of game. Right now, I'm working on developing some stuff for a White That Wins game. So something that's easy to make a map for. It's just a frozen wasteland at this point in my mind. So yeah, that's that's what I've been up to. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening to this today. Again, I'd like to get any feedback you have on this style of recording or episodes that are like this that are a little more random. Uh, or if you just have a question about the show or about the world or any ideas that you want to bring to the show or anything you'd like to come on the show and talk about, I know I have a few people that I want to get on the show. And if you're listening and I haven't got you on yet, sorry about that. I just Life has been crazy. Um, hopefully by now you'll have been on the on the show. But that's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining me on this random lore kind of episode. I'm your host, Eric, a.k.a. Gingerino, and I'll see you guys next time.